Hello and welcome to the Hinterviews podcast with Peter Hinton, produced by the National Arts Centre English Theatre and coming to you from the Salon of Canada's National Arts Centre in Ottawa. I'm Sean Fitzpatrick. Welcome to a special interview podcast taking place during the Magnetic North Festival, which ran June 3rd to 13th in Ottawa. In each episode, we will take you into the intimate world of the artists and creative minds behind productions on stage at the National Arts Centre English Theatre. In them, artistic director Peter Hinton chats with a guest artist associated with the production. In this interview podcast, Peter speaks with Greg Morrison and Don McKellar, two of the minds behind the hugely successful The Drowsy Chaperone, which will open the NAC English Theatre season in 2009-10, starting October 14th, and also participated in a choir event at the Magnetic North Theatre Festival. For more information about the NAC Theatre Company's production of The Drowsy Chaperone, please visit www.nac-cna.ca. For more information about the Magnetic North Festival, please visit magneticnorthfestival.ca. And now, here are Peter Hinton, Greg Morrison, and Don McKellar. My name's Peter Hinton. I'm the Artistic Director of English Theatre at the National Arts Centre, and we very proudly partner with uh, the Magnetic North Theatre Festival in presenting a festival of Canadian plays that are built to encourage uh, touring and dissemination of Canadian work across the country and international. Um, And um, I think our guests today really exemplify through a very special project, uh, Canadian work that um, has become almost an ambassador (laughs) for our country um, uh, with an enormous success overseas and to the south of the border. And I'm very, very honoured to have Don McKellar and Greg Morrison, two of the creators of the Drowsy Chaperone, here today. And... If you don't know already, we are opening the 40th anniversary season at the National Arts Centre with the Drowsy Chaperone, opening on October 14th in the theatre. So for those of you here in Ottawa, you can look forward to that. Before we get into the, uh, the interview, and uh, ha ha, I know, uh, is... Um, uh, I want to tell you a little bit about Don and Greg, and uh, we're going to talk for a half an hour or so, and then we're going to open up the floor to any questions you may have for these guys, and uh, we've got about an hour to spend together. Um, so save your applause for the end, because uh, I'd like to tell you about both of these gents. Um, to my left is Don McKellar, who was born in Canada, and has had a varied career as a writer, director, and actor. He was the screenwriter of the films Roadkill, Highway 61, co-writer of Dance Me Outside, the Genie Award-winning and 
brilliant 32 short films about Glenn Gould, and The Red Violin, and he also appeared in the latter two films. He received a Genie Award as Best Supporting Actor for his role in Adam Goyen's Exotica, <laughs> the Prix de la Jeunesse at Cannes for his directorial debut Last Night, which he also wrote and starred in. He also wrote, directed, and played the lead in his second film, Child Star. His stage writing credits include five plays he co-created with the Augusta Company, which some of you might know through uh, Daniel Brooks, who was involved in that company, who's a, a very important theater director, and the book for the musical The Drowsy Chaperone, uh, which won a Tony Award in 2006. He wrote and starred in the CBC television series Twitch City. Other film and television appearances include David Cronenberg's Existence, Adam McGoyan's Where the Truth Lies, and the much-loved series Slings and Arrows for the Sundance Channel. Recently, he collaborated on the film adaptation of Jose Saramago's Nobel Prize-winning novel, Blindness. He wrote the screenplay and stars with Julianne Moore, Gail Garcia Bernal, and Mark Ruffalo. Please welcome Don McKellar. The shabby gentleman to his right, Greg Morrison has received a 2006 Tony Award, a Drama Desk Award, Outer, Circle, Outer Critics Circle Award, and Grammy nomination for his work on The Drowsy Chaperone. I don't know why that makes me want to cry, but it does. Uh, his theater credits as composer and musical director for Hello, Hello, uh, a work by the marvelous Karen Hines at the Tarragon Theatre, Poxy's Lips, Oh Baby, Citizen Poxy, and Poxy Unplugged at the Toronto Fringe, Canadian US Tours, The Drowsy Chaperone, which is a real little interesting history in itself, at the Toronto Fringe, Theatre Pass Marai, the Winter Garden Theatre, Mervish Productions, Mump and Smoot, in Something Else at Canadian Stage and Yale Rep Theatre, Mump and Smoot and Flux at Cannes Stage, An Awkward Evening with Martin and Johnson at the Tarragon Extra Space, Tim Sims Playhouse, The Age of Dorian Artwood Theatre, and for television he wrote songs for Slings and Arrows, Getting Along Famously for CBC, The Joe Blow Show, Comedy Network. He's musical director for the Second City National Touring Company and Alumni Cafe, Tim Sims Playhouse, Poxy, an industrial film, and he's currently working on a new musical, <laughs> which I'd love to be in, Big Rosemary, <laughs> with Lisa Lambert and Blake Edwards. Greg Morrison, ladies and gentlemen. Wow. Um, you guys aren't the sole creators of the Drowsy Chaperone, right? Who are the other partners in crime in this project? Well, uh, there's four authors. There's uh, Lisa Lambert, uh, who was mainly lyrics, mm -hmm. and Bob Martin, who was the co-book writer. And he also it was, starred in it too, right? Yeah, yes. Yeah. Yeah. How does that work, collaborating with all these people? How did it come about? Uh, had you guys worked oh, well, together before? You know, the, should we let's do the drowsy the whole story? story. Do the we have whole to do this story because yeah, it's yeah, an amazing okay, story. Okay. Um, <laughs> Lisa and Bob and I are old friends. We're high school friends. We 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 met in grade nine and we were, we were old friends. <laughs> and uh, in in high school we did school plays, but also we founded a children's 
touring company uh, through Canadian stage, and we went around Ontario, except not Ottawa. Uh, but <laughs> not, not a principle, just, <laughs> just as it happened, we didn't go to Ottawa. Um, and uh, so, and they were little musicals and things we created, and we kept together, uh, we maintained our friendship through high school, and then Bob was getting married, uh, sometime later. Yeah, I'll pick it up for a minute. Uh, you know, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll find a place for you. Yeah. Time, you know, like that. Um, and uh, and Bob, he was getting married to another performer, Janet Vandergraaff, and so the idea came up to come up with something <laughs> because she was the best man. And so she didn't want to do strippers, I guess. Uh, and uh, so she did a musical, which is pretty much the opposite. And, <laughs> and how long was it? Like, uh, but at, at some point there... How, yeah, how well, did this guy sorry, get involved? I'll start talking for a minute. <laughs> uh, what happened is that I'd known Lisa for years through Second City at that time. Yeah. And Bob... Actually, oddly enough, this is sort of unbelievable, the title, The Drowsy Chaperone, was the first thing. She had this idea for a show called The Drowsy Chaperone. And that's all she had. She had it for a while, and she was banding it about, and <laughs> <laughs> oddly enough, that was never written. So uh, Bob, Bob said, I, maybe, did Bob say it? Why don't you do the Drowsy Chaperone? Or? Probably. At least he would claim. Yeah, he claimed. Yes, uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, so we came up with that. So we all, then she, did she ask you to Yeah, then we sort of uh, started working. She had a few songs already kind of in mind and that she'd already done, and we kind of just built it around that. Then I mean, very quickly, gone, what happened was, brought in. was she, uh, I said, well, come over to my place, it'll be easy, we'll just come up with something. Uh, it's Drowsy Chaperone, so it's, someone's got to be chaperone, you know, <laughs> drowsy chaperone. And, chaperone. Someone's and there's be a drowsy. reason she's drowsy, she's a chaperone, uh, so this, maybe it's a wedding, it's a wedding gift, so we had the wedding, and then there's got to be a reason that chaperoning is necessary, so there's... Uh, a, a conflict. There was this dumb character that we'd already had this idea of this character, Adolfo, which would would <laughs> would say the first line was him going, "What? I'm outraged." Or this is a is that a, yes, this is an outrage. This is a scandal. Yes. So that was that was <laughs> that was taking so much. So we had to find somehow a way to fit this character in. Believe it or, and the idea was to do it a kind of twenties musical. Obviously, it was it was sort of like a Astaire Rogers musical combined with a sort of uh, Marx Brothers. Yeah. style stuff and these were musicals that we loved and we'd always watched in high school and uh, so that there was the reason so the w we drew in those kind of characters we said oh well we need a best man one of those kind of best man characters we need uh, right. you know that she should be a showgirl so that all sort of came together sort of incredibly quickly we put it together quite quickly we wrote it um, and then was the, the show was done for the for the stage members party. of the wedding. For yeah, the no, no, wedding. it was, it was done at the, the Rivoli. It was done at the, the Rivoli, Rivoli yeah, a club in Toronto. Club. And there was actually an ad in the papers come see the original yeah. music. <laughs> come to. Uh, and there were a number of baffled people that came and yeah. just showed up uh, yeah. and, and watched this occasion. Because yeah. it was fully costumed. We didn't even know it was a stag party. <laughs> and, you know, it's a very small little stage. Um, what people didn't understand, well, I think, when they read this story, is that it wasn't full of in jokes. It, in fact, it was pretty close to the weird show that it is now, the show within the show. Uh, it wasn't actually jokes about Bob and Janet, and that was in itself part of the joke, that it had, they had nothing to do with it. Aside from their names. <laughs> yeah. Except their names, yeah. Bob Martin and Janet Vandergraaff, are the names of the lead characters in the show who are getting married. And Janet is a performer, so she was we, sort of the joke that she was giving up right. the stage, which she knew right. she wouldn't. So, that, so then we did this weird thing, and it was 
well-liked and uh, baffled. What, what was the turning point that went from this was a great wedding right. gift to... Make gosh, more of it. We got a show. <laughs> we got a what show. It was. It was the, I don't know who got into the fringe. I think it might have even been Janet. I think it was Janet. Yeah. And uh, she kind of came back to Lisa and said, you know, would you have something? The way Lisa, the f- we always kind of felt that this, there was more to do with the show. At the Toronto Fringe you know? Festival, uh, uh, the way it works is you have a lottery. So a lot of people right. uh, that we know, performers, just submitted applications without knowing whether they get in. So some people got in, like Janet did, without a show. And it's like, well, what are we going <laughs> to do? We got to do something. Yeah. And she said, what about that? Why don't we just remount the Drowsy yeah. Chaperone? And which was a great idea. We thought, oh, sure, why not? We, everyone and loved it, but it needed another sh- element, we felt. It was a, you know, this pastiche, lovely pastiche musical, but why? Why do that? Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, at the bar... Where it was it premiered? It was sort of astonishing because it was co- a costumed musical. You know what I mean? People were wearing flappers dresses, and it was what? It was bizarre. But we thought it was a little too bizarre for the public. <laughs> <laughs> that it needed a little bit of. Uh, we needed to allow people to laugh at it, to to, yeah, to, 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 to it know that these characters were. That had been done, Intentionally too. idiotic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. And, and so we thought of coming up... We all sort of, from different angles, thought we'd need an outside character who will be able to comment on it, on the show, uh-huh. to, to sort of provide a, an opening for the audience. And, and, but also that came out because we wanted to put Bob in the show, and it was a natural vehicle for him. Like right. you yes. know, was, we didn't want to put him in the show as another character, so we had to disc- find some so way. So is of, that like, where the whole idea of the man in chair? Yeah, came yes. from, was because the, the wedding gift okay. was just the internal story of the drowsy chaperone. So when we did the Rivoli, it was just a lovely little forty-minute musical. There was no uh, right. commentary, no annotation. So it was just yeah. that. And so, so we, uh, um, we, you know, we thought of various ways that Bob could be integrated, or, or we could show, present it. One of the ways we actually thought we could do a sort of interview like this, or we could do it an interview with the songwriter, one of those old songwriters sitting around the piano, yeah. and it sort of comes to life. Or we, we thought went to the, the lecture, the lecture, hall, you know, just like this, like that. Uh, which would have been great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or and then we thought, but then we sort of settled on the idea of uh, a record collector playing his favorite record for for the viewer. And we proposed that to Bob, who didn't want to do it at first. He was quite reluctant. Uh, but uh, we persuaded him, and uh, then we did... That was the way it was in the Fringe. For those of you who have seen it, that, the initial premise was, was there at that point. Okay. Yeah. And it was, it was actually... A, they've always, the, sh- this, the heart of the show has always been there, oddly enough. And it's always, even though it's gone through all these different incarnations, as you said, it's, it's amazing to us what hasn't changed. Yeah. That's always... Huh, I bet. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. the score has changed. Stayed, but it's yeah. always worked. Remarkably yeah. well. But and yeah. when you see it on, on Broadway and you hear this dumb song that we wrote in an afternoon, you think, how did this thing yeah. you know, end up on Broadway? It's amazing. Uh, a friend of some of yours here, and some of you might know, Melody Johnson, who's an actress in Toronto and a good friend of Bob's, <laughs> told me a very funny Uh-oh. story the other day about having to, that he was sat next to Oprah at the Tonys or something, and, and um, Oprah was nominated for The Color Purple, and uh, when the Drowsy Chaperone won for that award, he had to excuse himself as <laughs> Miss Winfrey and uh, to go uh, be part of a collection. She was of our enemy. 
<laughs> she was, uh, uh, she was, I'm sure, writhing in yeah. jealousy at that point. We took her down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> Bob's lucky she didn't trip him and uh, try and uh, bring him down. Yeah, that would no. It was a bizar- bizarre. I mean, the, all, this whole trip has just yeah. been one absurdity to the next. We just everywhere we've been, even going to certainly at the Mervishes, we thought, uh, yeah. you know, which were these big theater impresarios in Toronto. We, when they asked. Yeah. Uh, us to be in the season, we just thought, this is bizarre, yeah. of course. And it's this far. It was, in a, it was in a very big uh, theater in Toronto, the Winter yeah. Garden. And, uh, and when, we, when we did it, the Winter Garden, it kind of felt, okay, that was, that's great. We've gone as far, pretty well as far as we could go yeah. with it. But no. You know. but, but no. But no. <laughs> <laughs> Each stage really developed. There was new things. But also, I think what helped is that it was like one of those old shows, like you read about Marx Brothers' show, that we just. We kept having these runs at it, so we worked on jokes, made them better, stronger, funnier, more yeah. absurd, and kept building. And uh, f- particularly for a comedy, which it is, that's that was a great way to develop it. Really. What is the timeline between that first Fringe production and Broadway? Well, and all and that, you better look Ninety-nine was the Fringe. A long time. Seven-year, a seven-year yeah. period yeah. of. The and show being mounted, revived, reworked, yeah. nudged. Did you ever, on the way, have someone say, "You got to get rid of that man in the chair. Or you've got to make an adjustment that you were not uncomfortable." That well, you everyone always, always said, "Get rid of that title." They did, <laughs> <laughs> funny, but we eh? didn't because it was, we, you oh. know, that as I said, that was one of the very first things there, and it was intentionally weird. You know, it was and intriguing, and, and you know, we it thought was that was part of the, the appeal to it. Yeah. And then, you know, when we had our Broadway producer, they said, you know, in America, the word chaperone isn't used that much. It's oh, really? You know, up in Canada, that's very, <laughs> <laughs> it's very common. It's, yeah. it's a punchy in Canada. That's really, <laughs> you know, so, uh, the, but, you know, they had uh, other proposed ideas, but uh, we, we, you know, we were always open. We said, if you have a better name that actually suits the show, but obviously it was logical to have the show within the show would be the name of the, yeah. the main show. Yes. Um, even very late, <laughs> late even in the, after we'd Actually, won a Tony's yeah. late in the run, uh, one change. of our Broadway producers said, you know, I was just thinking, why don't we change the yeah. name of the show? No one has ever done that in Broadway. Yeah. Well, and I was like, yeah, yeah, there's a reason for that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So there's that. There, and there were, but of I mean, course... Bob, the, the idea of the man in chair and the conceit of the show, thankfully, that's when people got, uh, you know? It worked, it that and worked. New, and they kind yeah. of understood. And they identified so much with the man in the chair. I mean, that's the wisdom. You always try to do that anyways in theater or any kind of art. You try to make people identify with, with the be- characters and be- that character. It became pretty clear in the fringe that that's where the story was. You know, that's where, right. because he was the real character and we could yeah. actually give him human characteristics. And that's yeah. the story that evolved the most. Yeah. I mean, jokes and songs change constantly, but his journey, his arc changed. Like, believe it or not, the plot of the Drowsy Chaperone was pretty much there on, okay. in the stag. It's such a plot such as it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's an amazing thing. I find it very uh, powerful, the idea of someone who references their life or copes with yeah. their life through musicals. Yes. And it's something that um, certainly lots of gay people uh, yeah. have for 
years and years and years and years and years. And I remember my dad, my dad was not gay. But my dad, you know, lived by his record of guys and dolls, with right. the pictures from it. And when I saw the show, you know, the show, I was so struck by that as a, a way an audience yes. uses theater, or uh, theater is such a part of their way of processing life. And yeah, stuff. It, it really is, I think. Obviously, it's a pretty common experience, huh? because... Uh, and maybe it's partially generational, as you say, because certainly my parents, I had all those, you know, yeah. Camelot and all those yeah. things, too. But, um, you know, when we were in Broadway before we opened, we walked through and we saw the crowds going into the Beauty and the Beast and Tarzan, and we thought, we're Why sunk. We like, we're, they're, they're going to hate us. <laughs> <laughs> like, right. But they didn't. And, you know, the Broadway audiences are middle American audiences, they, they really identified. Everyone said, ah, that's just like me, that's just, so, just yeah. that's my story. And if not musicals, just the idea of investing say, yeah. in art or investing in theater and... Or uh, examining that, you know, that everyone has some relationship with music. Or whether music. it's a Broadway show or your record Absolutely. collection or certain songs that you play when you're in this mood or get you through this time. And I think it was that yeah. and a lo for a lot of people who weren't necessarily bright Broadway uh, fans are, uh, but a lot of people who weren't really aficionados of Broadway found that a way into the show. I think. Yeah, it's because it's a well, it's a show that's about it's uh, it's what I like about it is you can describe this show to lots of different people in lots of different ways. Yeah, and for some people, I've had conversations and they talk about oh, it's very postmodern. And, yes, and yeah. the way it it is it, sort it of deconstructed in what its a musical way, yeah. is and points yeah. out the falseness and points out and homages it to and other people that go, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. It's a great musical comedy or good tap dancing. We like, always felt that it was yeah. a, a show for people who love musicals or hate them. Yeah. You know, it, it, because uh, some people yeah. say, I love it, you really nail those stupid musicals, you know, you really yeah. tore them apart. It's like, yeah, what is... Uh, you know, but, but people who love musicals love it, and rightly so, because yeah. it's obviously affectionate, you know. And so, uh, I, I, and I, I, to tell the truth, that reflects our experience with musicals, which it, it came partly out of frustration with musicals, uh -huh. actually. It came out of our frustration with where we thought musicals had headed, particularly in the 80s and into the 90s, uh, and we thought that they'd lost what at least we imagined they had in the 20s and the 30s, where performers did their thing, it was performer-centered, it had a kind of freedom and anarchy, uh, yeah. and wit that was lost in musicals, and comedy. In, you know, in the 90s, you'll remember, this was a period of Les Mis and, and Miss Saigon and the Andrew Lloyd yeah, Webber musicals, yeah, yeah. and there was, humor was banished from the musical, <laughs> basically. And, and also... They became machines, you know. They, it was not about performers. It was not about unique performers. Right. Uh, in 20s, they would build acts around some guy that could do a weird thing with his legs, you know. Like, <laughs> put him in. He's true. He's great. You know, and you read the... Old, it's hard to find these old librettos, but you read them and you think, what was this old, you know, guy playing the ukulele doing in the show? That's well, because, you know, it's... Ike Edwards, who the voice of Jiminy Cricket, you know, who all who could do, sell a song and you know, uh, you know, premiered all these brilliant Gershwin songs, but he rarely had anything to do with the plot. <laughs> he was yeah. just thrown on, you know, and and that kind of uh, sort of generosity we felt was 
being lost in shows. And that's, huh. and that's yeah, in a way, yeah. something that more, I think, theater-savvy, theater-festival-type audiences, like this audience yeah. responded to more in those initial drowsies. Huh. And even on Broadway, I think they were sort of surprised by that. And people generally ex- feeling excluded from the form. You know, yeah. they were dragged yeah. to it. I, had, I think there was, too, for a long time, a real separation of legitimate theater yes. and musical yeah. comedy yes. as being, you know, and seeing that being crossed over, like even the shows in the festival, like Nevermore, yes. you know, is using musical theater, yeah. it's using... We were talking about that clowns. too. Yeah. And in Canada, what, the successes that have happened in Canada because of musicals have always happened out of that kind of alternative space and sort of come around the back door, like our show did. And, and they've been reluctant to... Well, there have been examples, of course, but to, to tackle that big kind of spectacle musical. There have been yeah. resource issues, of course, but as musicals got bigger and bigger, as you said, they t- became almost a different genre. They became not so much theater as uh, like amusement park entertainments yeah. uh, where people recreated um, parts that were done in animated films and things like that. And, um, and it, came about, it became about scale. And it became about scale. And it's special effects, you know, and so uh, it left an opening for theatricality and a certain kind of wit, perhaps. And I think the, uh, a big part of that, I think, is the comedy aspect of it. I think that's true. Coming yeah. from a comedy background yeah. in Toronto, uh, I, even with Second City, which is where I started, they always felt that the comedy community was separate from the theater community. Like, we never right. really felt, I mean, it was theater, but it felt uh, like it was a different thing. I mean, it was certainly embraced, but, you know, there seemed uh-huh. to be that separation there as is well. Is that changing? Do you think? Yeah, I think so. For sure. You've had an effect on that. Um, well, I think it was. I think we were a part of it. Part of the change. I mean, I think it was changing with lots of people, and I think that was sort of in you know, uh, part of what people were exploring and maybe uh, reacting to. It, it also came. I think you know, uh, it was a combination. I think of our, our group's comedy background and a sort of alternate, alternative theater yeah. background, which also was beginning to pop up in more mainstream shows mm-hmm. and and it kind of, the sort of subversion of the show came out of that. You know what I mean? I think that kind of aspect of it. Yes. But you know, I mean, it's, we came from a similar background. I yeah, think. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, is there a one memory or one story or one thing that sort of you, you always think about in regard to the Drowsy Chaperone or is there a moment that you, for you is a favorite about that show or it, that? For me, the moment, uh, for me, like I say, the, my main experience is one of sort of astonishment and bewilderment. Uh, and, but there were moments I remember at the opening, actually the opening in LA, we, we did our out-of-town tryouts in, in Los Angeles. And when I saw my old high school friend Bob ascending to heaven yeah. in musical comedy heaven at the end, I, I just found it so moving, like uh, in some weird life way. Uh, <laughs> that... Um, <laughs> That, that, for me, is always the yeah. most uh, memorable. Every now and then, in the, throughout this process, it would hit me what was going on, and I would think, I can't believe this. You know? yeah. yeah. I mean, there's so, there's so many, but... Uh, yeah, sure. The idea that it, that, it, that it was a gift amongst friends, and that, that, that somehow that flourished, is, is, is really moving to me. To me, it was even the opening yeah. in, uh, at the Winter Garden, because I was conducting that show, so, you know, the, 
it was a yeah. it was really amazing to be that close to the stage and because they had to elevate me because I had to see that cast because um, and it was just me and Bob a lot of the times him yeah. in the dark doing his bits and uh, it was uh, that was a really incredible feeling and the fact that that yeah. continued was I think part of the thing is that you think and uh, I mean as we were all friends, and I include Greg in this too, you, you, assume, <laughs> you assume that you're, at some point in your life, you assume that your personal sense of humor won't translate to anyone else. And right. you've got these little in-jokes and the way you talk and the little routines you do, and no one would else, else would find it funny, but your friends are hilarious. And then to have that sort of confirmed yeah. that, 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 that you're not crazy, yeah. Uh, yeah. and that actually yeah. that, that, that is funny is, is yeah. really funny. And it is, it's a really unique accomplishment because often shows can move from an intimate venue to a larger theater and they just don't translate. Yes. They lose their idiosyncratic charm or their, the thing that made it yeah. work was that it was... We were really worried about that. And we're, actually, we're very lucky that our, our American producers and director got that and respected us because um, I, we re they really re respected us to preserve our humor and our taste. And we were very worried about it. I mean, we were worried about going to Broadway that with, uh, as, you know, it's a huge honor and they're very talented people, but we, are wor we were worried that it would, be, it would become that kind of Broadway humor that would be mm. kind of, that would lose its charm and... Yeah. It would and, wreck it. Uh, yeah, it would wreck it. We were worried, <laughs> we were worried. And it's a fragile thing, as you say. So, um, so but somehow, they, I think they respected us and we... We were stubborn about certain things. Thank, thank God you were. <laughs> yeah. I, I want to ask you each an individual question about uh, other projects and what you're working on now. And I, I'm really dying of curiosity, Craig, to hear about Big Round. <laughs> <laughs> and is it cast? And um, <laughs> what's it about? Would you, you shave the beard? <laughs> I would. I would. Okay. okay. What is Big Rosemary um, Big about? Big Rosemary is a, um, <laughs> uh, it's a, it's based in an adaptation of an early script of Blake's that he wrote in the 50s, one of his oh. first movies, actually, uh, called... Blake uh, Edwards. He, yeah, Blake oh, Edwards. Okay. Sorry, you know, Pink Blake Panther. Edwards, sorry. And, uh, uh, he laughed last. And it was a movie that he was never happy with anyways. Huh. And uh, he kind of always had it in his mind that it was destined for, as a musical, that that's really what it was. Oh. Uh, we came about meeting him about a year ago now, um, just through an, uh, another theater connection in, in New York, and said that he'd had this script around for a while, and he'd worked with a few other composers, and uh, he was not that happy with how it was going, and uh, w w did we have any interest in it? And uh, the right. script on itself, uh, it's itself, because it was another, it's, an, it's set in 1930, and part of my hesitation is do you want to be labeled right, as the 1925 right. to 32 guy. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, but it's Blake Edwards, and he's married to Julie Andrews. You turn it down. Yeah. You kind of go, yeah, okay, go. I'll do that. And uh, just even for the experience of, of collaborating with him, he wanted yeah. collaborators. And uh, uh, that, as an experience alone, seemed worth it. And so we've been, we go to, uh, to California every okay. little bit, and uh, the score is pretty well complete now. I'm actually going in a couple of weeks and we're going to do a, um, a, like a workshop reading uh -huh. presentation. Very informal. It's still uh, in an early stage and we'll see about Is it. Is there like a, you know, second album syndrome? Is there pressure on you that to recreate the hit of the Drowsy Chaperone to... I think 
Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. And it's in brief, yes. And I mean, it's a, yeah. it, partly it's pressure you put on yourself, of it's course. It's mostly put on itself. Yeah. Right. 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 Other people don't really care that much, probably. But it feels yeah. like <laughs> we care. Yeah. Uh-huh. And you do. Of course you do, right? And, and it's even the, that choice of what you're going to do. And do you want something strikingly different? Do you want to kind of now express some other side, you know? Because I mean, it's true. The, the kind of, you know, we've done a number of things like this before. Uh, I, I know I'm interrupting them, Greg. It's my question, Don. <laughs> We've done a couple of uh, other sort of comedy musicals with this group. Uh, I didn't. Not so much Greg, but... <laughs> Clarify that. Uh, where before the Dresden Shop, we did a sort of Irish one, we called, that was kind of like Phineas Rainbow and, <laughs> and uh, Brigadoon kind of mishmash together. And we did one that was sort of like an Andrew Lloyd Webber. We did one that was sort of like a... The Ed Mervis story that was kind of like a bio musical, and what were the other? I don't know. There was one a Godspell kind of one. There was a lot of uh, sort of mock musicals. So it would have been easy in a way to do another mock musical from right. another era or something like that. But we sort of resisted that idea. Yeah. I think it, I think it's safe to say we didn't really want to uh-huh. have that to be our routine. And I mean, we are planning and to to do something again. And uh-huh. new, the four of us, and that's that's. We've been talking about uh, we're working. Uh, working towards working again on Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so, someone's got to get married, or, yeah. Yeah. or divorced, yeah. or, or divorced. die, or something. A christening. Yes. Or, well, and uh, Don, when I look at your most recent project that I mentioned, Jane Blindness, yeah, uh, it feels like so far apart from the Drowsy Chapel. Yeah, it was a hilarious like double world. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And I know theater has always been a part of your life and yeah. always been a part of what you do and uh, the people you collaborate with and yeah. film is a big part of what you do also. Um, how do you see those two things bridging together? When I look at them so far apart, do you see a... Well, it's very hard, uh, as you know, to build a career doing both. Uh, you know, there are those people who actors who do a Broadway show every now and then, but it's hard, basically because of schedules, because in theater, as you know, you have to book two years in advance right. or something, and film, I don't know what I'm doing next month, which is literally true. So, but um, I've try- I'm trying, because there's always, I think, things that, at those moments where it's crossed over, I think have been some of the most fruitful experiences yeah. in my career like as you said 32 short films about Glenn Gould was really in a way a film where I was trying to translate some of the stuff I've been doing in theater into film sort of uh, or at least some of the ideas of presentation and things like anyway I, I, you know I it excited me I, and I I love theater you know I, I find the, and not in a condescending way that it sounds I actually find it in many ways more liberating than film uh, it, and certainly having worked in film there's more freedom on the stage uh, and it can be very exciting so you know I look for those, those ways to I, I have a, something now actually that I'm currently in beginning to work on that I think will be a, a, one of those kind of crossovers but you're right it's uh-huh. also between the drowsy chaperone now I get all these offers Every musical that's being made into a film, I got offers uh, oh, or people okay. saying, "Hey, you're the perfect guy for because you know." So, but um, even film, I'm not. I don't like a lot of film musicals, so it's hard, you know. It's, but I'm trying to bridge that gap. Yeah. Please join me in thanking Don and Greg for joining us today. It's been so great. Thank you. Thank you.
Thank you, Peter. Thank you. Send us your comments and questions. You can reach us by sending an email to interviews at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Don't forget you can subscribe to this and other NAC podcasts by visiting www.nac-cna.ca slash podcasts. There you'll find our past episodes, subscription links, and instructions on how to subscribe. You can easily find us as a free subscription in the podcast section of the iTunes Music Store. Search on Hinterviews. If you'd like to stay in touch with news and updates from the NAC English Theatre, sign up for a free e-bulletin by visiting www.nac-cna.ca slash email alerts. You can also find us on Facebook. Become a fan of the NAC English Theatre on Facebook by entering NAC English Theatre into the search bar. Until next time, this is Sean Fitzpatrick for Peter Hinton and Company saying goodbye from Canada's National Arts Centre in Ottawa.